All right. Well, this is week three of our study on the attributes of God. Our first week, we saw that God is real. We started at the very bottom, <laughs> that God is real. Second, last week, we saw that he is absolute, that he's not one among many gods, but that he is the absolute God. There are going to be 10 of these studies total. I've mapped it out. And tonight, we're going to learn that God is personal. God is not an it. He is a he. He is a person. And as with these first two, this may seem painfully obvious, but it is not painfully obvious everywhere. And if we're starting from an apologetics philosophical level, it's what kind of what we're doing. We're showing how can we come at this logically and also thinking biblically, but logically and from a, from a perspective of not assuming anything and also from a biblical perspective. But if you're going to start, okay, I, I buy that God exists and I buy that he is the one powerful God that created the world, but you're going to tell me that he's also a person and everybody immediately thinks of cartoons where God has a beard and he's sitting in the, in the clouds somewhere. It's not immediately apparent. And there are a lot of people that believe in a nebulous, floating, hard to get your mind around little g God. But we don't. We believe that God is personal. And this has very important implications beyond just believing it, not just knowing that it's true. If God is personal, he may be known, right? If God is personal, he has a personality. We can connect and speak with him and understand him. And if that is true, then there's really nothing else that compares to that, is there? If God is a person and we can know him. So let's look at this from those couple angles I was talking about. Because biblically, from the very beginning, we see that God is acting, he is speaking, he's interacting with other people. His personality is assumed, sort of like his existence. It's assumed that God is a person. And back in the day, most people believed in many gods that also had names and personalities and they had images attached to them. God told us not to do that with him, but they believed in personal gods as well. So when they were writing this, they were writing to a culture that mostly, mostly understood that. But if we're trying to build an understanding of God from the ground up, using our minds guided by scripture, what guarantee do we have that an absolute God would be personal? And I think there's a couple ways to look at this. You could spend a lot of time talking about it, but I think you can argue from the existence of the world itself. The world is created in such a way that only a personal mind could have made it. I'm going to give two examples of that. First of all, organized information only comes from intelligence. We're a reasonably smart generation. We know a lot of things. There's been a lot of books written. And we know that there is no organized information that does not come from intelligence of some kind. You do not find books that just spontaneously blew up together. You do not find computers that will program themselves unless they have been previously programmed by somebody else. And this is what's so interesting to me about people that want to say, well, we found experiments where in the right conditions, life will come about by itself. I doubt that that's true anyway, but it's like, but hold on, there were people setting that up. So even if that was successful, all you've shown is that you do need very smart people putting it together. Organized information does not come from anything other than consciousness, from intelligence. And every law of physics is a precise mathematical equation. Gravity has a number attached to it. The way that the universe stays in motion, there are numbers and equations and laws that go into that. We only discover them. We don't come up with them. 
we find out, okay, things fall at about this rate, and it turns out they fall that rate everywhere. So we'll call that gravity. And then we say, we have discovered gravity. Yet yeah, it was already there, though. You didn't invent it. And every DNA strand is complex information. It's a four-letter language with countless lines of code, you could call it. Where does that come from? If you believe that it was just sitting in the mud and threw itself together one day, that seems a little harder to believe than what I'm talking about. So that's it. The first thing, organized information comes from intelligence and the world is full of it. And second of all, the world that we live in has people with consciousness. We live in a world with people that are personal. Any theory of the origins of the world has to come up with an explanation for consciousness. Even if you can say, okay, the algae turned into this and, and given enough time, something will turn into something else. Okay, but at one point, at one point does the, the monkey sit up and go, how did I get here? What happens there? And this is one of the biggest unexplained things that people have. They'll say, well, this is how it all came together, but at some point consciousness came about. Well, hold on, that's huge. When did we come up with things that are able to think about themselves and think about thinking and think about thinking about thinking, which is what we're doing right now? You have to be able to account for that because if there was nothing conscious, where did consciousness come from? And you also notice that in the world, we don't see gradations of consciousness. It's not like we are fully conscious as humans. And then going down the scale, you find things that are almost there. No, it's animal, big, huge gap, people. So why is that? It's one of those questions that science, so to speak, can't answer. It's really secularism that can't answer that. You have to be able to account for that, though. We're talking about the world. That world contains people that are self-aware and conscious and have personality. Where did that come from? Consciousness, as we know, it only comes from consciousness. We have children. They came from us. That explains why they are personal and aware. And even if we talk about creating artificial intelligence, which is not the same thing, but even if we do talk about that, it came from consciousness in the first place. So you're seeing that even if we grant a lot of the initial steps of these theories, you still wind up that it doesn't work without God, almost as if the world was made by God. Books do not blow up fully formed. Consciousness only comes from consciousness. So even if you're coming at this from a strictly secular perspective, if you're going to believe in God, you have to believe in a personal God because he's the only one that could come up with this sort of thing. Your only real alternative to that is some kind of pantheism, which is that God is everything. Hindus, Buddhists, and oddly enough, some atheists have a form of this without saying that it's all God. It's that this is all that there is and it all moves together and you end up sounding like a Hindu by the way you describe the universe. Interesting how it sort of circles back there, doesn't it? But if you believe that everything is God, or there's also a derivative of it called panentheism, which means God is in everything. You've heard that, right? God is in everything. He's in that chair. He's in you. He's in the trees. Or you say that God is all of these things. And there are so many problems with that. I, I'm not going to really get into that now. It's, it's beyond the scope of what we're talking about. I mean, it, it starts with a lack of verifiability. You believe that everything is God. How is that any different from nothing being God? Which is why atheism and Hinduism end up more or less in the same place. And also, you, you then have to answer questions. Well, if everything is God, then that raises a lot of questions about morality. It raises questions about suffering. It raises questions about how we ought to treat each other. And if we are God that wants to prevent us from doing whatever we want to do because we are God, I'm not going to dive into it, as I said, but I think of the two options, we're left with this one. We ought to expect 
Looking at the universe just from a purely rational perspective, we should expect that God is personal. And that is what the Bible teaches us. God is a he, he is not an it, and he has all the characteristics of personality. And I point all that out to show you, the Bible gives us revelation, but the revelation of God, because of what we're going to talk about tonight, actually, it is rational, it's logical, it makes sense. And the world that exists conforms to what the Bible teaches us. But let's open up our Bibles because that's the most important thing. We're talking about God having all the characteristics of personality. And I did not come up with this list, but it's used pretty universally, so I'm going to list it. In order to have a person, as they say, something must have intelligence, emotion, and will. Intelligence, emotion, and will. I'm going to run through all of those things. And I don't know if that's definitive, but I can say that if something does not have one of those things, you can't really call it a person. A person will have all of these. So at the very least, we can start here. So let's go through this and see, does God have intellect, emotions, and will? And the first thing is intelligence. I'm not talking about being smart. I'm talking about having rational faculties. Okay, your guinea pig is not intelligent in that sense. You know, the trees outside are not intelligent in that sense. People are intelligent. Is God also intelligent in that sense? Or is God just a force that reacts to how he's touched and is just responding to stimuli? No. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Remember this story when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he knows it means something. So he goes to all of his magicians and he says, I want you to do two things. Tell me what my dream is and tell me what it means. And they're like, well, if we don't know what it is, then we can't tell you what it means. And he says, yeah, but if I tell you what it is, then you can make something up. So I want to know, are you guys charlatans or are you real? And they're like, no one in the world can do this. And Daniel comes in and says, my God can do that. And when God reveals it to Daniel, he says this, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Here it is. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Don't you love that? God gives wisdom to the wise. Where'd you get your wisdom from? God gave it to you. God gives knowledge to those who are knowledgeable. God is a thinking God. He has the ability to know, to understand, to instruct, which is really good for us, because not only does he know, but he can teach. He is wise beyond all our planning and understanding. Now, sometimes we see things that God does and we don't understand. God tells us to do something and it seems irrational. It seems illogical. Why would God tell us to do that? That doesn't make any sense. Well, the answer is we're not playing with the full deck compared to the Lord. God sees everything. He sees all that there is, all that there's going to be. So when he tells us to do something, he knows what he's talking about. But we only see this much. We only see through a little, little tunnel vision. Like, God, that doesn't make any sense. And God's like, I'm right here. You know, it's like the trust fall thing. Fall backwards. Are you crazy? I'll hit my head. Well, I'm standing right here, but I can't see you. That's, that's trust, right? The Lord knows. He has wisdom. He has knowledge. And when we don't understand what he tells us, that's not because he is unintelligent. It means that we do not understand it. He is so far above us, right? His ways are higher than our ways. How much higher? As high as the heavens are above the earth. Where's the edge of space? It's that far. It's also pretty cool now that science has determined that space is always expanding. <laughs> so when the Lord says, my ways are higher than your ways, my love is as heavens to the earth, 
It's like, well, that's always growing and growing and growing. That's pretty cool. What does this mean about God's character? If God is intelligent, meaning he's logical, he's rational, he thinks, God is not irrational and capricious. He's not an animalistic God. He doesn't just do whatever he feels like in the moment. He's not a creature similar to the, the Greek gods, if you read about that. They just do whatever impulse comes upon them when you read those stories. And we don't have a God like that. We have a God who sits and thinks and can make a plan. He's wise. And this is why throughout the Bible, they'll come to the end of some harrowing adventure that God sent them on. And then they come to the end and they see why. And they go, Lord, you are so smart. And our Bible translates it. You are wise above all others. But really, it's like Paul or whoever going, God, you're just so much smarter than we are. Why do I ever question you? God has intelligence, intellect. The second thing is emotion. And that might sound controversial to you, but this is what the Bible tells us. God feels deeply in all aspects of emotion, but without sin. That's key because we tend to equate emotion and sin. That is not what the Bible tells us. We just sang this song. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Talking about the Lord rejoicing, feeling gladness, having loving feelings for us. The Lord has emotion. It's typical to call those verses, though. People will say, well, that's anthropomorphism, meaning we write about God as having emotion because we do, and it's easier for us to understand him that way. Back in Virginia in the youth group, I had a big floor-length sign on the wall that said, what does it say, though? It doesn't say, it's almost as if God was happy. It says God is full of gladness. It doesn't say it's, uh, God's acting in a way that if I didn't know any better, I'd think he was angry. No, it says the Lord is full of wrath, right? The Bible tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And I think that shows our own cultural prejudice that we look at emotions as something that should be suppressed and they should never drive the, the cart. And God doesn't even have emotions, so why should you? That's not good because it's not what the Bible tells us. And the reason we do that, in fairness, is because we are accustomed to being ruled by our passions. That we get so angry that we sin. We get so sad that we sin. That our gladness, unfortunately, the ways that we celebrate, can lead us into overindulgence. But the Bible tells us, for example, with anger, be angry and do not what? Sin. As in, it is possible to be angry without sinning. It said that Jesus was in the temple and he was angry. Well, he wasn't really angry. It just, that's how we can understand him. No, we do not project emotions onto God because we have them. We have emotions because God has them, because God feels deeply, but he has such deep, pure emotion that it is not even touched by sin. So not only does God care, but he cares deeply. Remember that verse, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. God is not some high-level artificial intelligence robot that just follows pure 100% logic, runs through what the plan is, and then executes it. And there's no, no bothering to call upon him and ask him to change his mind. There's no bothering calling upon him and saying, have mercy, help me, Lord. This is not according to the plan. I am God and I do whatever I want. No, there's, there's verses in, in Hosea, for example, where it's a big, long book of judgment against Israel. And the Lord's like, you've done this and you've done that and you've done this. And then you get to the end and the Lord goes, Oh, but 
how can I do this to you? I love you so much. And there's this really tender passage where he goes, I remember taking you by the hands and teaching you how to walk. How can I, how can I destroy you forever? You know what? I'm going to chastise you, but I'm going to bring you back into the land. It's the Lord's love that was poured out to them. And it's the Lord's love that was poured out for us. Why would God die for us? It didn't make any sense. Because of his love. Because of his great love. Because the Lord is not a robot. He is a person. And as a person, he has intellect. He has emotion. And number three, God has a will. God has a plan that he has made. He has an opinion on our questions and situations. This is good to know because a lot of times we act as if God just wants me to find my own way. (laughs) That's very convenient theology, isn't it, right? I think God just wants me to do whatever I want. You know, that's just how it feels to me. I'll bet it feels that way to you. I think we all would feel that way if we dared, right? God has a will, though. He has a plan. Ephesians chapter 1, this is actually a great passage. I expanded what I was going to read a little bit because it has all three of these in here. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan. See that? will, purpose, plan, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven, and things on earth. God has a will. He does not just let things happen. God is not impotent in that he cannot work. He can work, and he does. The Lord is active in his creation. He created things with a purpose. God is not indifferent, but he is very much interested in your life and my life. If you've ever been involved in any kind of creative endeavor, whether it's songwriting or painting or storytelling or dance or whatever it is, you know how, what it is like to give yourself to a creative work that you're working on. Do you think that God is somehow indifferent to the greatest creation, the ultimate supreme creation of all time? God is active. He has a plan. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for mine. And because he also has all knowledge and all power, he is able to make his plan come about. God does not just have plans. He is able to make his plans come to fruition. And he includes us in his plan by his grace. God is not a deistic God. He's not a clockmaker who wound the clock and then left it. Yes, I believe in God, but I don't think he is involved in his creation. Another bit of convenient theology there. The Lord works things out for his glory and for our good. The Lord intervenes. He intervenes daily. He intervenes throughout history. You read the Bible, it's a story of God intervening according to his plan. Because he's a person. He's not a blob floating up in heaven that every now and then makes something happen. He is involved in the story. He is a character in the story. We've talked about that, right? In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit has lines. And the Holy Spirit said, comma, quotation marks. He is a person. He is a person, like we are persons, although you probably should put that backwards. We are persons, like God is a person. This is very dangerous. When we look at who we are, and we try and hold that up to God and say, eh, he doesn't quite fit. No, God is the light, and we're just the reflection, right? In, in that sense, we, we have his image within us. Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are like him in our personality. 
And that's important. And that makes things much more complicated in a lot of ways. And I think that in some ways, that is why those who are trying to ignore God, those who cannot allow God to have any say in their life, want to accept a God that is out there somewhere. I don't know if he's personal. I don't know if he's there. I don't know if he is interactive in the world at all. Because that allows you to ignore him. But if God is a person and this is his world and he cares and he's involved, then, okay, now this is somebody that I have to reckon with. But that's a wonderful thing because we can know God like we can know each other. Well, isn't God so different from us? No, we are like him. Our personalities are like his. You can know God. You can have a relationship with God. And he wants us to know him deeply. Abraham spoke to God like a man speaks to his friend, the Bible says. God was going to go destroy Sodom. And he said, I can't leave Abraham out of this. I'm going to go talk to him. It says that Moses and God would meet together in the tabernacle of meeting. And the glory of the Lord would move from the tabernacle to the tent where Moses would go pray. Because the Lord was speaking to him. When the Lord came down to earth, he became a man. He did not become like a a bolt of lightning. He didn't become an animal. He didn't become a tree. He became a man. And that's how we know God is because we know Jesus. And now we live with God's Holy Spirit within us. You can know God. That affects everything. That affects the way we read our Bibles. Because you read stories of what God has done. God hasn't changed. He's still there. There's been a long parade of characters in history moving past God, but he's still there. So the way he interacts with people in the Bible sets expectations for how God should interact with us today. That affects the way you read it. Because now you're like, all right, I'm part of this story. I'm in this story. His spirit is within me. The most interesting person who is there in every page is in me. He wants to know me. He wants to have communion and fellowship with me. That affects the way you go about your daily life because God is there. He's not just the rules that you've got to follow. He's a person who is with you and watching you and intervening in your life. And it affects the way we pray. Probably that above all those things. It affects the way we pray or it should. When Jesus taught us to pray, the first words he said was, Our Father. He makes it personal. Our Father. There's a relationship there between us and God. And it's so easy when we pray to act like God is an equation. Well, here's all the variables. If we get them right, we plug that equation in, it has to work. Or he's a computer program. Ah, we missed a parenthesis somewhere. We've got to go back and find it so we can put that in. Or like God's a locker combination. If we get it just right, and I say the words just right, with just the right attitude, pop, there goes the lock. Ah, we made it work. All of a sudden, that puts the power upon us. We have no power, but we know the one who does. That's a thing that is missing, I think, as we talk about prayer, that God is a person. I feel like sometimes we've got to be praying to the Lord, and he's like, hello, it's me. I'm right here. I can talk to you. I'm a person. He is somebody that we can know. When we come, we ask. That's why the Bible says to ask, to come to him. And ask, well, I can't see him. Okay, but other than that, the Lord is just as personal as everybody else in here. Probably more so. And if God may be known, like I said at the beginning, if we can know God, is there anything else worth living for? 
If, if God can be known and he wants to be known by you, he wants to speak to you. He has a plan for you. He has a whole life set up for you. He knows you intimately and loves you deeply. That's the best thing ever. In the book of Hosea, again, I was reading it this week, but Hosea chapter 6 says, Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Let us know him and let us press on to know the Lord. Keep going. Keep chasing after him. Let us press on to know the Lord because he's a personal God. He can be known. He wants to be known and he is with us here tonight.